this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Although today I'm on from 3 to 5 because I'm going to duck out early and catch some jazz fest in New Orleans. I absolutely love that. But there is plenty of fun to be had here in town or even at home because it's not only Cinco de Mayo, it is also Kentucky Derby Day. So uh, lots of fun today. Lots of interesting stuff going on. Uh, we are packing a lot into this show. I, uh, I want to talk, um, basically, you know, until the November 6th governor's election about what, uh, what's next, you know, who's next for the governor's mansion here in Georgia. And part of that is I, I, I'm going to hopefully, uh, on a regular basis, talk to Garland Favorito, who is a, uh, an election integrity activist here in Georgia. We're really lucky to have him here. And we're going to talk to him at the bottom of the hour. He's going to talk to us about some of the vulnerabilities and um, questions that remain, if not smoking guns that have appeared, uh, about the last election, the presidential election here in Georgia and other elections. He's going to tell us about that. But also in the future, he's going to tell us kind of what to watch out for um, and things that we can do to help move Georgia from a very low ranking on election integrity up up the ladder. So hopefully we can do some good. Uh, also, I want to, I'm going to be over the months talking about the different candidates. And right now we just had a debate, a Democratic debate between the two Democratic candidates, Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans. The primary is um, coming up. I believe the primary is May... I don't want to say the wrong thing, May 22nd. And, uh, but Stacey Abrams is the front runner by far. And they both describe themselves as progressives. Obviously, that's not what I go for as a libertarian. I believe in uh, individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times. And these guys kind of believe the opposite of that. But I really don't even, I actually have some tolerance for a sincere uh, collectivist, let's just say. I mean, I think of these things, I've mentioned it before, in terms of kind of Plato versus Aristotle. Do you think that the fundamental unit of society is the individual? Like I think, and I think Aristotle, we look at him as, as thinking that, or as the collective, as the group, as society itself, which is kind of the platonic idea that you can pick people to be leaders and and groom them and they should be philosopher kings and all this kind of stuff. I I go for the Aristotelian um, interpretation, not only because I value my freedom, but also because at that level, you are the one who's responsible for your actions. You can control it. You don't have to use coercion to control other people. And that's how it has to be if, if what you want to do is manipulate society for the greater good. But it seems to me that Stacey Abrams, who is probably going to be the Democratic nominee, is kind of, you know, philosopher king who's been or whatever is being groomed to be uh, this kind of platonic 
philosopher king based on just an uh, a, a list as long as i've ever seen of globalist fellowships that she got probably before during and after she went to yale law school she uh had her funding all of these fellowships are global in nature they're about um international initiatives and uh, my sense is that, uh, and she talks about this, Atlanta and Georgia are a kind of epicenter of world, you know, of world activity. And I even felt this with Reed that what we're talking about coming out of Atlanta is this, um, you know, if there's going to be a seat of world government, it might just be Atlanta. And I wouldn't be surprised if she thinks she's going to be that first world leader. Like that's how grandiose this whole thing strikes me as. And uh, and that's that's very different. I mean, this idea of kind of moving towards the world corporation, uh, the world government is very different from just a progressive wanting to uh, slide money around in town because of people who just simply uh, don't have the background or uh, the abilities to kind of make ends meet you know that's the the kind of good uh, way of interpreting but i don't think that's what's going on here and i believe in particular we were talking about before the break my producer binkley is here and he's done a lot of kind of background work on abrams funding uh and the people who have funded her who continue to fund her have some major agendas that i think play into this kind of power at the top uh you know, kind of world dictatorship, if you will, that really have no relationship to our founding principles. And then I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about um, just real quick touch on education as one, our the state's relationship with our children, and also safety and justice, which is a George Soros movement that I think folds into a something uh, we've talked about before on the show of Michael Chertoff, and I even talked last week about it, uh, this idea of fundamentally restructuring the legal architecture of this country, and that that will go to our protections in the Bill of Rights, and I and I think these all these movements are really about, uh, uh, you know, when they talk about the fundamental transformation of this country, which Obama talked about, and Abrams absolutely talks about, and she says it starts in Georgia. That's I think that's what they're talking about. Even when they talk about criminal justice reform, I don't think they're talking about more justice and more rights. I think they're talking about uh, something that's very foreign to us and will minimize the importance of individual rights and more importantly, actually, protections from government overreach. So uh, that was quite a long way of, of getting to the clip, Binkley, that we were going to play. Um, so what, so we were talking about some of the, uh, education agendas and, and which clip was it, Binkley? What, what, which one we wanted to maybe the old clip 12. Yeah. Old clip 12. Yeah. And this is where she, uh, you know, just listen, I played it earlier in the show, but I think it's important to really listen to what she's saying about what she views to be the role of the state, uh, versus the role of the parent in a child's life. Let's hear it. What kind of education do we want for our children? We have to start with high quality daycare because the child's brain starts to form from the moment he or she arrives on this earth. And we can't wait till they're three to decide they're worth our time and our attention. And more importantly, parents can't be spending time trying to make a living and worrying about whether their child is gonna be able to start life on the right foot. 
That's the state's responsibility both in education and economic development, and we can afford to do better. But we also have to expand pre-K. Starting at four years old is not early enough. So her viewpoint is that it's the state's responsibility to uh, direct your kids, get them off on the right foot. The age of three, four is too late. Yeah. You notice what she said about the brain forming. Like, that's right. Psychologically, that's when the brain forms. The, those are the most formidable, formidable wow. years. And she's talking about yeah. getting in there and getting the kids before that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's disturbing because what's most disturbing about it, it there's, there's something about this. And it's funny because I'm pretty black and white as an individualist libertarian. But as a mother, I see that how nuanced raising a child is and how important it is to impart your values to the next generation and how powerful that is. And I've read in a very famous book about the real nature of the power elite called um, Tragedy and Hope by Bill Clinton's mentor, Carol Quigley. Well, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how technology and other developments, I think the draft, and now I believe I would insert into there like sleepaway college. Uh, these are things that disconnect children from their parents' values. And that's how you transform society. That's what he says. That's how you transform society is by disconnecting children from their parents' values. And and how would you do that? But to get them that young. And and I, I would almost wonder if the reason we have such the way our taxes work, um, the tremendous burden that never ends uh, despite the fact that we basically redistribute $5 trillion a year and poverty never seems to end, both parents seem to work all the time, that gets the moms out of the house and or dads, whatever, both parents out of the house and the kids are then at the mercy of this collectivist viewpoint. You know, I mean, this isn't news to anybody. But I did want to, one thing that you pointed out to me, Binkley, was this, George Soros, he's a big funder of hers. And he also, can you give me in a sentence what you think um, that other program he was working on? I have a paragraph here. I want to I want to read about it, but um, I don't know the description. It's, it's Safety and Justice Fund or something. Are you talking about the 2022 thing? I'm talking about, you sent me something about Soros funding oh, uh, yeah. legal, or is it DAs or prosecutors? What is it? He's been funding district attorney races around the country in order to put you know, controllable candidates in that can reinterpret the law and transform the justice system from within. Yeah. And I, I, it is, I do not believe for a second that he does this just like when he funds like legalizing pot movements, which of course I'm a libertarian. I don't think anyone should tell you what to do in that regard. Um, but I think that he wants to change the legal structure because he has a different kind of vision for what the world should look like. And he is absolutely not committed to the U S bill of rights. That's for sure. But one of the guys who ducked out of the race against one of his candidates, um, it was in Henry County, actually, uh, McCord dropped out of the race. He said campaign because Soros was supporting Patio. He said campaign financing is a real issue in this country that must be tackled. George Soros, a Washington, D.C. billionaire, has invested invested $100,000 in my opponent's campaign, as he has many other localized campaigns across the country. This was in 2016. If the money was all we were up against, it may be different. But with the involvement of the Soros camp, history tells us they will win at all costs. Two months filled with personal attacks on my family and an infusion of negativity into this great county. All from someone who has no affiliation with Henry County. That's not what this election should be about. So th this Soros thing, uh, he plays dirty pool. 
he he has his people in there for a reason other than uh, his interest in the health and welfare of the citizens of that locality. And it, it is something to worry about. Let's talk a little bit more about that after the break. Uh, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are getting ready to talk to, I very rarely have guests on. I really limit my guests to local activists or maybe even candidates who... uh, I, I would say are libertarian, not even necessarily libertarian leaning, but who I respect as a libertarian, either just integrity or principles. A lot of times it's it's someone just trying to make sure uh, laws aren't slipped in that have unintended consequences. You know, I'm just looking for integrity and anybody who's who's working for that locally, I like to give them a little airtime because a lot of times they don't get airtime. So the next guy I have, I'm going to have on, Garland Favrito, is a voter uh, an election integrity advocate, but I was talking to Binkley during the break and my producer here, and he said, because um, we've been talking about the Georgia governor's race, we've been talking about Stacey Abrams, who looks like she's going to be the Democratic nominee, um, and she has a uh, kind of voter strategy, right, Binkley, that, that you definitely made you raise your eyebrow. What What is it that you are worried about? She's on a, a bus tour to Albany and, you know, to the her target demographics, with four celebrities, and they're they're basically bringing the ballot to people's door almost, saying, vote now so you don't have time to think about anything else. Well, that explains why, like, she wants automatic voting, and she wants um, uh, early voting. I never understood what the problems with those things. I mean, automatic registration. I always wonder, didn't know what the problem was, but I guess the problem is... And she talks about wanting to do this. They go to your house and they want you to check the box in front of them. And and if they're anything like Al Gore, maybe they give you a pack of cigarettes along the way. <laughs> so there's really there there are problems. I mean, what is the vote for if it's really that manipulated? I don't know, but let's hear how manipulated it really is with uh, Garland Favrito coming up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I'm only on till 5 tonight. It's my own fault. Don't blame WSB. I'm zipping out of town for Jazz Fest. That's going to be fun. Um, But we are getting a lot accomplished today, and I am very happy to have a guest on uh, who just I'm fascinated by some of the stuff he's uncovered lately. It's Garland Favorito, an election integrity activist here in Georgia. Uh, VoterGA.org is the best way to find his stuff. Uh, Hi, Garland. How are you? Hi, Monica. Thanks so much uh, for having me back on the show again. It's a real honor to be on. I love it. I really uh, love it when people are trying to make um, make a difference at the local level. I love integrity. Election integrity is essential. Um, but I read uh, a piece you put out earlier this week that really blew me away. I, I don't even want to attempt to summarize it. So why don't you tell me uh, what what that recent piece was about? Well, great. It was an audit we did on what they call the KSU server wipe that happened last year. Uh, with a lot of new information that's never been published before. 
So I thought I'd walk you through it um, and, um, as fast as I can, but I thought maybe we'd start with a little bit of background information. Sure. So, so in 2002, when uh, Kathy Cox purchased these, this voting system, which is unverifiable and hackable, um, she contacted... This is the voting with, system for all of Georgia? Yes, exactly, state, uh, statewide. Um, and she contracted with KSU, Kennesaw State University, to provide what we call a centralized elections preparation. So they established this Center for Election Systems at KSU, um, and that's been headed by Executive Director Merle King and Assistant uh, or Director Michael Barnes for a long time now. But it's a little bit separate from KSU itself. Uh, it operates on the campus, but it reports to the Secretary of State's office. So uh, the center um, for each election, it provides the counties with election databases, the files that prep the memory cards that they place into uh, every voting machine to accumulate the results. And so the, the cards are physically data. the cards are physically at this place, and then they get distributed to the machines. Well, uh, the, the the data uh, is used to prep it. The cards are physically at the counties, but the data used to prep the cards comes from the. And state. that data is communicated to the cards. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And um, and uh, the also uh, Kennesaw State, the Center for Election Systems, supplies the voter registration data, and that goes into the poll books, and they create the little yellow voter access cards that you put into the machine, and it says it tells the machine to accept one vote, which is what you cast. So those um, this data flows into every voting machine in two different paths. Uh, if we had a picture, it would be a little bit better. But I know that uh, it's hard to do here. But the bottom line of all this is what we call it's a single point of attack. So if an attacker can compromise the central site, they can send malware through the counties down to every voting machine without ever touching a single voting machine. Because the counties don't have any procedures to verify the security that, of the information they receive from the center, and uh, any malware that they got would not be detectable in their logic and accuracy testing. So that's kind of the background of, uh, of what uh, has transpired. Um, and so you take that into what, uh, fast forward to August of 2016, we, the cybersecurity expert named Logan Lamb found that the, the center's election server was exposed to attack and he phoned Merle King to tell him, and King said he would take care of it. Um, so and King what, is, just remind us who King is. Uh, Merle King is the Center uh, for Election Senate, uh, uh, Systems uh, Executive Director. So he's the top dog there, and, and Michael Barnes is the director. Um, so um, <clears throat> Lamb, what he had found out is that this, this server they were operating has a security flaw, and an attacker can have free reign to execute, create, modify, and delete any files that are on that server that they're using to prep their counties. And he also found on that server a copy of the voter registration database that takes, uh, has uh, Social Security numbers, names, and addresses for 6.7 million voters. So it's not – I don't want to slow you down, but it's not, so, it's not just that the database – 
um, that information was uh, accessible, but also there was an access point at which some of that stuff that gets downloaded onto those cards could be also manipulated. Exactly, exactly. And and that those that to, to give you an example of that, the current elections databases that are sent to the counties were there. Um, executables that could create the elections databases were there. There were uh, PDFs of memos that had uh, Election Day supervisor passwords, and they even had training videos on how to download files to put them on those memory cards we talked about in wow. the county voting machines. So all of that is sitting uh, exposed to virtually anybody, in, anyone in the world, to uh, get into. So... Um, that was August of 2016. In March, after they, uh, Lamb had called, uh, had contacted uh, Merle King and sent him an email, um, they found out that this uh, vulnerability still uh, had not been remediated, and it was the server was still exposed. So this had been true from before, during, and after the November 2016 elections. Uh, exactly, and it was probably well, well before. Uh, evidence seems to indicate that it was probably years before. It's been open for years, um, although we haven't been able to nail that exactly down the exact date yet. Um, so um, basically, when all this happened uh, in March, this is when the story broke, and, and the chief security officer got involved because they were not getting anyone at the center to shut down this problem that they were having. So the, the uh, cybersecurity experts got involved uh, and got contacted the chief security officer, uh, Stephen Gay, who is the director of uh, information technology there at Kennesaw State. And he uh, turned the server over to the FBI and then uh, got, and he, started, he began to do some good preventive uh, measures. But then um, Director Barnes uh, notified him that they don't have any backup of the elections data. That, that they had the just FBI, sent over to the FBI on the exactly. servers? Exactly. That no backup existed, which is uh, almost uh, un, unbelievable. So um, Mr. Gay got the server returned from the FBI and, and gave it back to them uh, temporarily. But even when they got it back to get the data they needed off of it, they still did not make a backup of that data. So that will come into play in just a second here. So moving on to the um, how it, the, the data was deleted. So basically the um, director, Director Gay of the, of the KSU IT department, which is separate from the center, um, he produced an incident action item report. And in that report, it had standard preventive measures that uh, sh should be taken. And, and a lot of those were good uh, good best practices that he had uh, recommended uh, to, uh, to start, you know, having a, a, basically a, a series of act activities to nail down any future issues and kind of close any vulnerabilities. So he sent the report, uh, sent it to directors, you know, King and Barnes to review, but they never responded to the action items that were on that report and what they were going to execute. And that incident report, action item, contained an action to destroy the data and reinstall it, uh, destroy the data that's on the election server, and then reinstall it in an isolated network. 
so beginning uh, with in July when the lawsuit was filed, then all that data was destroyed. Um, and uh, when Secretary Kemp found out about it in October of 26, uh, because the lawsuit, what was the lawsuit? It was against him for failing? Yeah, the lawsuit was to basically throw the voting machines out of Georgia okay. in, in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. And um, um, so the, Kemp was mad. Yeah, he was furious. He said it was reckless behavior, inexcusable conduct, gross incompetence, undeniable ineptitude. And he said we were opening an investigation. And that day was October the 26th. So on October the 30th, just four days later, though, his legal counsel, Ryan Germany, issued a report saying that, no, it was standard procedure. So it can't be both things. So that was when we got involved and decided we're going to have to audit this report and see what really should be done. So what we we found out, which was a standard procedure in this kind of case, which when you, when you have a vulnerability, you want to go back and identify any prior breaches that you ha- may have had. So um, what that means is you would uh, probably want to identify any, vul- you know, what was the duration of your vulnerability? How long were you exposed? How long was that server exposed and the data on it? Um, you want to determine if an unauthorized breach occurred, um, and it, you can use audit logs to do that. And you you want to identify the source of the breach, and you can use uh, IP addresses for that um, to find out if, who the attackers were. You might want to define uh, unauthorized breaches that may have uh, occurred using timestamps, and there's uh, all kinds of techniques. But you they can couldn't use. do any of that because they had destroyed all the data. Is that right? Uh, Exactly. That is exactly right. And so that would be the normal procedure you would use to assess the impact of the breach and then remediate it. But as you said, you would have to have the data to do that. No one even considered even doing this, uh, which we, we would consider standard procedure based on my 40 years of information technology experience. And Are you suspicious? Are you suspicious as to the motives of destroying the data? Um, well, I, I'm, yeah, yes, I, I am, and I'll kind of leave that to the list, listeners to decide. Um, so, but it gets worse. Uh, it, it's not just that the data was destroyed, but then there is the Secretary of State's report that is serving as a cover-up for the destruction of the data, and that's all equally disturbing. Well, i got to tell you, Garland, we only have one minute left, so you have to tell people how they can get more and tell us the punchline and what they can do. All righty. Well, um, basically, in this report, it failed to... Um, it failed to consider any things like why there was no backup of the data, why there was no forensic assessment, why KSU violated uh, the, the standards, the I say Center for Election Systems. And it all goes back to the Center for Election Systems directors. So they uh, were responsible to secure this data and maintain the backups. They did not do that. They were responsible to, you know, they're the data owners and responsible to get that a forensic assessment done. Um, so the bottom line is that uh, the, the same flawed process exists and some of the same responsible, irresponsible people are now being moved into the Secretary of State's office. So to get more about this, 
uh, Monica. It will be on VoterGA.org, and the press releases were also on Monday. We're going to be having a, a, a presentation on this at the Buckhead Library at 1 o'clock, so we'd love to have uh, everybody out for that. And we'll be walking through this with uh, illustrations and give you more detail at that time. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Garland. I can't believe you got all that out in that amount of time. I'm going to post on MonicaPerezShow.com your press release and your audit. Thanks so much for your time, Garland. Wrapping it up after the break. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are wrapping it up. We've got a little bit of a short show today. I'm filling in for my last hour. It's going to be Tim Andrews and Milani Kai. So that'll be fun. Uh, We just finished digging in a little bit to uh, the Georgia governor's campaign. I think uh, it's pretty clear Stacey Abrams is going to be the Democratic candidate. Next time we'll talk about the Republican candidates. And uh, we just got a fantastic information-packed expose from Garland Favorito of VoterGA.org. You can go there and read his audit of what really happened at KSU with the election data and the possibility that our elections in Georgia were vulnerable to literal hacking, not like this baloney that you hear about, oh, Russian hackers... It's really, there were vulnerabilities. We will never know what uh, what's really happened. So check that all out. Uh, thank you for listening. You can, if you want to hear the podcast of this show or any other of our shows, my producer Binkley and I do some podcasts and this WSB show, you can go to propagandareportdaily.com. And uh, for Garland stuff, you can go to monicaperezshow.com. And thanks for listening. Be back next Saturday from 3 to 6. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.